Well, welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray. Uh, for those of you who perhaps have never listened to our shows, which run every third Friday of the month from 7 till 8 p.m., and we're both licensed medical herbalists who trained in England and graduated there with a degree in herbal medicine. Uh, we run a clinic in Garberville where we consult with clients about a wide range of conditions and recommend herbal medicines and dietary advice. And you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMEB Garville 91.1 FM and from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to uh, call in with questions related to this month's subject uh, and they're going to be related to the uh, California SB277, which we'll get into here in a bit, uh, as well as the uh, degradation of the food supply, which uh, both are intimately linked one to the other. Uh, causal effects come from many different places and they all add up to a very decreased quality of life for most people. Uh, we're very welcome to have uh, Dr. Raymond Peet uh, joining us on the show this evening. Uh, and Dr. Peet, you're there? Yes. Okay, well, thanks so much for joining us again. Um, I think, firstly, uh, what I wanted to uh, just discuss, I know we did go over uh, vaccination, uh, I think it was back in uh, June of 2014, and um, ran through um, the introduction of vaccines and uh, mentioned that vaccine, uh, uh, disease rather was in free-fall decline uh, before the introduction of vaccines through uh, good food, increased uh, sanitation and clean water, etc., in, especially in industrialised uh, countries. So um, g going on to what has been described as uh, another bill to wipe out yet more choice, uh, California's uh, Bill 277 uh, seeks to impose mandatory vaccination and no either religious or uh, ethical ex exemptions. So people are not going to be able to say, uh, it's uh, my belief that um, I believe there's a better future for my child if I don't vaccinate them or I have a religious preference against vaccination. But um, let me let me just first, I kind of forgot, I get a bit too excited about this month. This uh, bill only came out yesterday, so it's kind of last-minute, top-of-the-hour thing for us. Uh, I know we're going to get into the degraded food in the food chain and bring out the whole... Uh, yeah, the whole, well, we'll talk about it a bit later on, but anyway, but it all, all, all amounts to a, a very decreased uh, health perspective for most people in terms of what it is they eat, if they only knew what was in it. But would you just please first start um, by letting people know your uh, scientific and academic background for those people who perhaps have never heard of you? Um, my uh, PhD is from the University of Oregon in biology in 1972. Um, I've taught in a, a few different institutions, um, uh, State University of Mexico, uh, Veracruz University, and uh, uh, two or three uh, schools in the United States, um, but uh, a, a variety of, of uh, science courses, including immunology uh, at the University of Veracruz. Uh, so I'm, even though I uh, didn't specialize or study it, uh, I learned somewhat uh, what's going on in, in the immune system and that uh, teaching it got me interested in uh, uh, following the, the development okay all right so uh, a, a good introduction for people who've never heard of you um okay so talking about um the senate bill 277 now 
So abolishing most opt-outs, I think the only exemption is going to be uh, permitted medical exemptions for uh, either immunocompromised um, children, maybe receiving chemotherapy for leukemia and that kind of thing, or um, immunosuppression uh, drugs and all those people who are uh, currently using antiretrovirals for HIV, etc. Um, so, but there'll be no choice to opt out for people that don't believe that the science uh, is pointing in the right direction. Last June, we talked about the um, studies that were done uh, initially um, by World Health Organization with those three populations of which... Um, Sarah, do you want to talk about that? Because it's something that you've been oh. more familiar with. Well, Dr. Pete's very familiar with that. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, okay, so Dr. Pete, but why, why don't you bring that out again? I, you go ahead. Um, the World Health Organization... <clears throat> around, I think it was around 1970 that uh, they did it. I read it a little after that. Uh, they took three villages, I think, in Guatemala and uh, left one as a control population. The other one they sent the regular public health team with uh, uh, vaccination and uh, getting, uh, I think it was chlorinated water for the drinking supply, uh, just the, the usual minimal public health things. And then the other one, they uh, provided a nutritional supplement to all of the pregnant women in the village. And uh, during their uh, breastfeeding time and uh, to the children and uh, the uh, relative to the uh, control village that didn't have any doctors or help sent in, uh, the medically uh, uh, treated village, the health got worse uh, by by several measurements, and the uh, the health in the village that simply got the nutritional supplement uh, was generally better, as well as the the kids being bigger and healthier and more intelligent. Okay, so uh, the, the world the health organization then came up with the conclusion that actually the far cheaper and easier thing to do was to um, use vaccination as a standard of care. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, that isn't a popular uh, thing with, with the world pharmaceutical industry because uh, they want to sell drugs rather than food. Yeah, exactly. I'm just I'm saying, I'm saying much the same thing, is that the, uh, uh, the introduction of vaccinations is a very, uh, a very easy way to deploy uh, yeah, <laughs> to deploy uh, material to third world and other developing countries as a supposed way of increasing people's health. But okay, so getting on to um, this Senate Bill 277, and they're basically saying that California is going to be one of only three states that have mandatory forced vaccination with no opt-outs. The only other two being uh, Mississippi and West Virginia. Um, I think for anybody listening who really does take this to heart and wants to find out more information, uh, I'd really like you uh, to jot down this web address, which will outline the senators involved, where they get their funding from, uh, namely Merck, uh, and what there is to lose behind allowing this bill to become law. I mean, that's the essential, well, quintessential part of American life, isn't it? It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and freedom of choice, isn't it? It's uh, Okay, so the website is www.s for sugar, b for bravo, dash 277.us. And that article will outline everything that you might want to know 
about the epidemic of vaccine legislation funded by Merck that's happening currently. Um, so in terms of in terms of the vaccines, they say that going to be 34 to 36 vaccines mandated by the age of six years old, and then obviously there's another batch of uh, vaccines from the age of six through 18, and then still further vaccines mandated from 18 on. And I think this does apply to schooling and uh, other institutions for, uh, for for education. I think all in all, it's a total of 69 vaccines that are scheduled are on the schedule for a child, a baby child, and a teenager to receive. So, Dr. Pete, what, do you have anything that um, you think about specifically with regards to vaccination and what's been shown in the scientific research to support the uh, um, the argument for healthy standards of living and nutrition uh, and clean water, etc., sanitation as being far more important than vaccination? Um, you know, the history of, of looking at, at the relation of uh, vaccination to disease, specific disease incidence and mortality goes back more than 100 years. And uh, um, Ivan Illich was uh, one of the first people to uh, do a survey of, of the research that uh, had been uh, gathered over the years. Uh, I think Suzanne Humphreys, Mm-hmm. Uh, website it is a good introduction to uh, that perspective, and she also has some information on the uh, actual effect uh, of the vaccine material on the baby's immune system and uh, uh, the need for um, taking a completely uh, new look at what the immune system is, uh, how it relates to the development of the person rather than uh, to fighting disease. Uh, uh, This is a a relatively new approach to um, looking at immunity called the danger theory in which uh, the body is really reacting to disruption of its tissues uh, and the immune system is there to repair and compensate for the injury and uh, it just from this point of view, it, it just happens uh, that the, the um, infectious agent gets in the way of that uh, repair process, and uh, it's incidental, uh, really, to what the immune system is doing. So they could just be injecting mercury and aluminum and other immune system irritants and get the same effect? Um, uh, yes, yeah, uh, to, to a great extent. Um, but one of the uh, interesting things is um, that Suzanne Humphreys mentions is that uh, in one study in which they used an actual uh, placebo control rather than a, a different vaccine, uh, so they, they saw the difference between injecting just water or the vaccine. Uh, they didn't see any difference in the specific infection rate uh, to the uh, disease that the vaccine was aimed at, but they saw six or seven times greater incidence of other infections in the vaccinated kids. Well, this is there's a lot of um, organizations like that are now yeah. saying that vaccinated children are less healthy than unvaccinated children, and it's very hard to do a study like this because there's so many children that are vaccinated and not very many children that are unvaccinated. 
Yeah, and, and there's uh, not likely to be any funding <laughs> to do that kind of study. <laughs> Okay, and the whole from from a perspective of uh, good health, or from a perspective of practicing medicine and the Hippocratic Oath, that statement first do no harm, I think, continually sounds in my ear, and um, the definite and uh, litigated uh, damages claims that are being pursued in the courts against uh, damaged children uh, from uh, from drug companies, um, it rather is rather obvious for anybody who wants to take a look at it. There's plenty of um, uh, groups that have emerged uh, as parents of damaged children, etc., campaigning uh, for better access to litigation because, in fact, all of the companies that produce vaccines, folks, are indemnified by the government against any and all damage arising out of the use of vaccines. So how does that sound to you? Uh, first, do no harm, but... You can produce a product, and as and when it damages somebody, you cannot be held liable for it. That sounds very. Uh, that sounds like a very serious contravention of uh, the American Constitution in terms of the population and its uh, right and access to, um, you know, everything that is good, and to be protected from those things that are not good and or fast becoming massive control uh, of both the food and the drug. Uh, industry in this country and in most uh, economised world uh, populations. So, yeah, first do no harm. It's obvious that uh, vaccines have caused harm. Uh, the companies are indemnified against all and every claim. Um, so they, unfortunately, don't have too many places to go to get any kind of recourse for what's happened. OK, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM uh, from the... Uh, 7.30 or that period of time onwards to 8 o'clock at the close of the show uh, you're invited to call, uh, to call in with any questions uh, related to this month's subject of uh, the uh, recent Senate Bill 277 passing legislation for mandatory vaccination and then also we're going to get into the whole aspect of food and the degradation of food and the food chain and specifically starches and how these degraded foods wind up in our uh, in most people's foods and how labeling laws do not reflect the dangers of uh, the ingredients and how these ingredients can in turn bring poor health uh, without without doubt uh, and obesity etc etc and how this all works against people so but uh, it's very yeah, the poor food in our food chain is supporting the vaccines comp the vaccine companies because people are not well enough to resist disease so dr pete do you think that Unvaccin un unvaccinated children are at risk of socializing with vaccinated children? Uh, there are uh, cases in, in which uh, a vaccinated child has spread the, the vaccine uh, organism where they use a, a live polio virus, uh, and the vaccinated kid has, has infected unvaccinated people. Um, um, but the... Um, the senators pro pro proposing or uh, getting that bill passed uh, were, were claiming that the uh, unvaccinated children are putting everyone at risk, he said. Uh, <laughs> but if if most of the kids are vaccinated, aren't they protected? What are they going to catch? <laughs> uh, the, the, the reasoning uh, just seems mm. uh, absolutely crazy. Uh, you can't put them at risk if they're protected. So apparently the senator didn't believe that the vaccines are protecting anyone. <laughs> How would they be at risk? 
Well, and then also there's, of course, there's vaccine failure. We were taught by the um, microbiologists who work for the British government that no vaccine was successful apart from the smallpox. So really there's failure on all the vaccines. And if good food, good nutrition, supplementation, clean water, clean air, if that's more effective than vaccines, then, you know, why would someone go any further? Okay, I just wanted to remind people again, uh, if you're, hopefully you're interested, uh, the um, website which you can find out a lot more information about the senators who are primarily behind uh, this uh, Bill 277 and and where they get their funding from uh, is plain to see and it's certainly disclosed uh, by Merck. Uh, where they um, dis- where they uh, fund people's campaigns and the senators who are funded by Merck, uh, and without saying any names, folks, just go take a look at the uh, the uh, the website www.sb-277-us rather, and you'll find all the information there. And it's, uh, it's pretty straightforward, pretty obvious, and uh, pretty shocking. But hey, um, unfortunately, a lot of people have their have their interests elsewhere. But that's uh, I think in this area. And there's Certainly lots, people are a lot more conscious. There's lots more information online. You can visit the National Vaccine Information Center, which is www.nvic for National Vaccine Information Center dot org. So nvic dot org. And also there's doctors that are behind the real science of the dangers of vaccine, which um, one of them is Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, and her website is www.drtenpenny.com 10 as in the number 10 and there's also a movie called The Greater Good and that's www.greatergoodmovie.org so there's some more information for people who want to to read some more okay well Dr. Pete let's make the uh, let's make the link between degraded food and um, ill health declining health etc etc and how how a lot of this can tie in with the uh, the option to just make it simple and vaccinate everybody, because out of that first study that we first talked about, that was the uh, that was the conclusion that was drawn. Um, so inexpensive, low quality food, then uh, the the, the, appearance, the appearance is pretty deceptive when you see it. These real shiny, shiny apples that just look too good to be true, uh, with wax coatings and genetically engineered, of course, uh, to not spoil on the shelf for a long time. Uh, and people out out here listening to this, do, do you read label ingredients of your food? Uh, or don't you really mind? Don't you care? I know in England, before I came here in 2001, um, probably for 15 years at least, there was fully disclosed supplement fact labels on every package, everything that you would buy in the supermarket. You could see exactly what ingredients were in it. They would say if they had artificial colours or flavours or this, that or the other. Uh, and when I first came here... I really didn't see any labels and I didn't ever come across people looking at packaged food and or food on the shelf and taking a look at the label to see if there was information that they might be concerned about. But um, it's estimated that starch uh, provides about 70 to 80% of the calories consumed by humans worldwide. So we can get into the description of starch here in a moment, Dr. Pete. But um, why is it? I mean, I know it's cheap and it's easy to mass cultivate and now it's patentable in the form of GMO uh, corn and potato and rice especially. So how do we make that connection? I, I think the cheapness is the main factor for uh, even uh, dietitians are, are taught to promote a certain amount of 
uh, starch in the diet. And starting in the 1930s, uh, the U.S. government uh, designed and taught uh, dietitians to promote uh, three levels of nutrition. Uh, one to uh, simply prevent starvation, emphasizing beans and cereals. Uh, another uh, middle class, uh, uh, more health oriented diet, and then the, the rich person's diet with plenty of uh, animal protein. Um, and uh, that uh, emphasis originally it was uh, relatively uh, meaningful, uh, valuable to hungry people to to know how to uh, get by on a, a diet of uh, just a few cents a day for for beans and and uh, grains, balancing things uh, for minimal survival purposes. Mm-hmm. But uh, for economic reasons, the uh, like the breakfast. Uh, cereal industry uh, subsidized nutrition journals and dietetics journals and taught dietitians to uh, say that these things are healthful. Uh, the, the foods that were originally promoted just to survive, uh, now they're uh, called health foods, uh, whole, whole cereals, uh, legumes, and so on. So uh, it's gone full circle. <laughs> yeah, so the Rich people now are indoctrinated so that they're eating whole grain bread and so on. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's getting on to starch. I, I something that really um, caught my attention when you first talked about it back in. Oh gosh, you know what? I, it was the middle of last year, sometime. But um, you mentioned um, some pioneering work done by. Oh. Gerhard Gerhard Volkheimer, right, and starches. Would would you describe that? Um, Yeah, he was, um, he rediscovered uh, work that had been done uh, 70 or 80 years earlier, uh, and it's called persorption of particles, and it refers to uh, the fact that even though uh, ordinary digestion theory says that um, even proteins are broken down in the intestine and absorbed as small molecule particles, uh, amino acids. Uh, he and his predecessors showed that uh, if you feed starch uh, consisting of uh, uh, the naturally formed starch grains, which can range from half the diameter of a red blood cell to about 10 times the diameter of a red blood cell. In other words, uh, uh, much, much too big to even pass through the, the smallest arterioles. Definitely uh, a lot of them will plug up uh, capillaries, and many of them uh, block arterioles. Uh, he demonstrated both with people and with mice that feeding uh, starch uh, like a, a cup of a, a slurry of cornstarch, for example, and then drawing blood uh, about 15 minutes later, he could find the type of starch particle that they had drunk in the bloodstream. And then 15 minutes later, uh, he would start finding it in other uh, body compartments. Uh, it would show up in the urine passing through the kidney uh, barrier and uh, Ultimately, he found it in the cerebrospinal fluid, uh, 
and uh, every every compartment of the body, you could find these starch grains plugging arteries with, with experimental animals. You would uh, slice them up at uh, different stages, having been fed uh, starch uh, chronically. And he found that it caused mice to age prematurely. And when he sliced them up, he found that every place that one of these starch grains lodged in an arteriole or capillary, uh, the surrounding cells would be starved of nutrients and would die. So that, that these animals, it was like being uh, having a shotgun working internally, uh, killing little pockets of cells. And uh, he, he was an immunologist. That was what got him interested in it, uh, thinking about uh, how your food uh, can affect the immune system uh, if, if it's broken down into small particles before it gets into the body. The immune system simply isn't going to see anything allergenic. But if these big particles get into the bloodstream, uh, they're going to come in contact with all the parts of the immune system. And uh, so uh, the simple fact that big particles are in the body means that our immune system is constantly being exposed to uh, antigens. And uh, it's, uh, he demonstrated that the uh, circulatory damage was very clear. But as an immunologist, he believed that uh, those particles were contributing to, uh, part to diseases that uh, corresponded to the type of antigen in the food. Um, so the foods we should avoid that contain high starch granules or high starch percent would be grains and... Um, yeah, any starchy food. Uh, and if the starch is very, very well cooked, like boiling it for 40 to 60 minutes and then eating it with fat, uh, the fat uh, slows down the absorption and uh, uh, allows the uh, digestive enzymes to uh, soften it up uh, so that it, it uh, doesn't get through the, the barrier of the intestine uh, without being further broken down. Presumably, um, most people's uh, uh, intestines, for want of a better word, um, would be inflamed from poor diets, from poor food, um, dietary insults, uh, we'll call them. And in that case, then, they are probably more uh, at risk and more subject to that passage of starch granules through the intestinal barrier, what would normally be a barrier or perceived to be a barrier, but... Yeah, uh, and that inflammation, uh, besides weakening the uh, uh, barrier function, uh, that uh, is in increased by uh, the, uh, the, the immune reactions, uh, increase the uh, production of uh, inflammatory materials, and it becomes a vicious circle. And two nutrients that are very important uh, in stopping that vicious circle are uh, magnesium and vitamin A. And uh, both of those uh, are uh, dependent on having adequate protein in the diet.
Okay, so fats fats taken with starches, and I think you have mentioned this before, it does, does ring a bell with me anyway, you said that fats, when mixed with starches, slow the absorption uh, and or um, passage, if you like, of these starch granules through into the bloodstream, and that's why you advocate uh, plenty of butter with potatoes, for example. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, the, uh, having the digestive enzymes being produced abundantly, that requires a, a total a good nutrition, good thyroid function, and so on. Yeah. yeah, because if you have low thyroid function, then don't you have low hydrochloric acid, and it's hard for you to start yeah. breaking down the food? All, all of the little glands in the digestive system slow down, don't produce as many uh, enzymes. And your liver won't produce the same amount of bile and... Well, and also, you know, soaking of grains and, you know, in, in Mexico they are, you know, for thousands of years, corn has been... Yeah, even in my my parents' and grandparents' generation, uh, the way bread was made was completely different. And uh, letting it rise for eight or ten hours, uh, wetting the dough, adding uh, sugar, letting the yeast grow... The uh, slow leavening process of using uh, wheat or other grains activated enzymes that broke down the starches, turned them to sugar, let the yeast grow, and activated enzymes that broke down the gluten and the combination of uh, the, the carbohydrate, the sugar is energy, and the amino acids liberated from breaking down the gluten produced new proteins so that the uh, slow leavening actually can increase the protein by 100 or 200 percent. And the same with the corn because it it increases the absorption of the nutrients when corn is mixed with boiled with lime. Um, uh, Yeah, it decreases toxins and increases the nutrients. So it's it's modern day food that's killing us. Um, Yeah, the the grain... People thousands of years ago discovered that the, uh, both the slow leavening and uh, boiling the grains with lye or lime uh, would break down the toxins and make them more nutritious. So it's it's just the, the uh, since about 1940 when the bread industry discovered that they could make instant bread by adding chemicals to blow it up. <laughs> Okay, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMED Garberville 91.1 FM. And then from now until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions either related uh, to the SB277, uh, which is uh, now uh, looking like it could become law unless it's opposed, um, and or the, uh, the discussion here about starches um, and the uh, degradation of the food chain. We'll get into the some of the components that are added to foods that people may just not even be aware of. Okay, so the number here, if you live in the area, is uh, 1-800-KMUD-RAD, or if you live outside the area, there's a toll-free number, uh, which is 1-800-568-3723. So the local number is 923-3911. Yeah, okay. All right, so Dr. Pete... Um, some of the uh, some of the ingredients that uh, are not 
listed. I know we are probably going to be looking uh, quite a bit at the starches because um, there's something that you've talked about quite a bit, and I know that you're not particularly an advocate of starch, although you do you do recommend things like tortillas as a good alternative when they've been uh, made with lye to make them uh, far more digestible. Uh, you're not totally opposed to sourdough bread either, are you? Uh, no, it's uh, very safe compared to the, the yeah. standard bread. Yeah. Okay, so uh, not only have we talked about GMO and uh, the, one of the, the three main uh, GMO products that uh, are certainly flooding the, the food chain here, uh, potatoes, uh, corn, and then um, I know there's some rice to some extent uh, is becoming a GMO, and, and then potatoes. I heard some potatoes also now being grown fairly widely as a genetically modified product. Well, when we, I was visiting a food safety scientist at the USDA labs in Berkeley. He told me that they were, we went into the actual, the little lab kitchen to pick something up out of the freezer, and they told me uh, that they were working on adding a new fiber to breads, and Dow Chemical was um, paying the USDA to test the food safety of adding this, this uh, wood pulp sawdust to the bread it was not um, a grain fiber it was from wood it was a wood pulp and they were making bread with wood pulp and they were going to advertise it as increased fiber bread that has increased fiber okay we, i think we, the germans uh, discovered that method during a famine <laughs> they, they extended at least they gave it to their war prisoners <laughs> and when they almost uh, entirely omitted the, the cereal and, and made the bread of, of sawdust. Uh, the purpose was to uh, kill off the war prisoners faster. <laughs> okay, we have a caller on the air, so let's take this uh, take this first caller. Uh, caller, you're on the air, and where are you from? Little meningitis, when some antibiotic pitch you tried didn't work on an ear infection at four years old, and possibly they never gave that... Uh, immunization out as a regular basis at least i wasn't even aware of it until my child contracted spinal meningitis and i believe that is a dangerous disease yeah well thank god for antibiotics when your child gets spinal meningitis yes but also not thank god for the parents that i've known who've had children vaccinated for pertussis and ended up permanently paralyzed you might want to read the book the poisoned needle and investigate a little bit deeper into the subject. Well, also, we, we, one of the polio vaccines that I have heard about, there were two forms of them, and one of them can be quite dangerous, as well as the pertussis. Now, I am a believer in tetanus vaccination, especially here in the hills, and that isn't actually caused by rust. It's caused by horse manure. We were trying not to get into too much specifics because we don't have time on this show, so... Thank you for your call. Okay. All right, if you live in the area, the, call, the uh, number's uh, 923-2513 or 1-800-KMUD-RAD. If you're outside the area, the toll-free number's 1-800-568-3723, which is KMUD-RAD. Okay, I think you have another. Yeah, we have another caller on the air. Where are you from, caller? Uh, Missouri. Oh, hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? Oh, pretty good. Carry on. Uh, so, you know... I I guess one thing I wanted to find out is on starches, Dr. Pete, is, is there any differences from, say, like the starch in white rice 
and the starch in potato and any other starches that come to mind. And then the other thing I was wondering, I know you've commented uh, several times that potatoes have a really high-quality protein. I think I've even heard you say that it's actually maybe even better than eggs. Um, and I'm wondering, uh, eating something like potatoes that are well-cooked with butter or coconut oil or even some kind of meat, uh, you know, like a, a ruminant, uh, versus eating white rice or even whole rice or whole wheat bread, does the, um, the body, because it's gearing up to digest protein, possibly secrete more enzymes that would be effective in breaking down those starch molecules in the potato? I guess I'm trying to defend the potato in my own mind to a certain degree because I've really enjoyed cooking them many ways, such as, you know, hash browns cooked in coconut oil and then putting it under the broiler and kind of browning them and then putting eggs on top, top and putting it back in the broiler. And I just love these different foods with potatoes. I also grow potatoes. Uh, I realize that the philosophy or the, you know, a lot of people will say, well, people have been eating potatoes for thousands of years or they'll say they've been eating bread for thousands of years. I realize it may be all they had and that's why they're eating it, but so you're asking, are you asking if eating protein with the potato is going to increase the enzymes to digest the starch in the potato? Yeah, just to make it a, a little less um, precarious, um, uh, you know, kind of gearing everything up rather than just eating something like white rice, which doesn't have protein in it. Uh, Norman Curie wrote a, a good book uh, many years ago on the quality of plant proteins, and uh, he rated uh, rice, I think, has a uh, 6% value for an egg yolk was 100% value. And leaf protein, if it's extracted from the, the fiber and the uh, fats, leaf protein is about 70% value on his scale, where the protein in potato, I think, was about 105% slightly better than egg yolk in quality. Uh, so it's uh, roughly uh, 15 or 20 times better than, than uh, rice or um, bean protein uh, by, by Puri's scale. And uh, the uh, starch grain in potato is one of the biggest. Uh, it's about 100 microns in diameter. Uh, rice uh, starch grains I think are down around 10 microns in diameter. Uh-huh. So, Dr. Pete, do you think that eating a protein with your potato would increase the enzymatic digestion of the starch? Uh, well, if the protein, if the potato is very well cooked, uh, it has such high-quality protein that uh, people uh, subsist very well on a pure potato diet, basically. Uh, in um, uh, New Guinea... Uh, some of the people on the traditional diet would eat uh, basically just potatoes for 50 weeks out of the year. Uh, then for one or two weeks, they would have uh, a regional uh, fest, uh, feast. Uh, uh, for for uh, several days, they would eat pork just one or two weeks out of the year. But uh, because of that, very high potato diet for 50 weeks of the year uh, they, uh, were studied in detail and found to be uh, well 
well-muscled, generally very healthy as if they had been eating a a perfectly balanced diet all year. And uh, that was what uh, got people interested in the high quality of potato protein. Uh, It'd be interesting to know if um, people that are eating a food like that over a long period of time if they've kind of developed different strategies like, you know, really chewing it well and making sure that they're breaking the starch down somehow or they've either adapted maybe to, I don't know, is that possible for for a stomach to secrete specific types of enzymes that are breaking down starch molecules better because generation after generation they're eating that type of food, I wonder? Um, yeah, just in a few months a person's digestive system will adapt considerably. Uh, in animal experiments, uh, if they feed a highly nutritious diet, the size and the length and the weight of the intestine is very small. If they eat a very poor uh, high-starch diet, high fiber, uh, the intestine grows in length and mass. Uh, so wow. almost like they're producing an organ specifically for the type of food they're eating. And a good way to get the protein out of the... I know we have a caller, but a good way to get the protein out of the potato is to juice it. Dr. Pete, you've taught me that. And you juice a raw potato, and then you let the starch granules fall to the bottom of the liquid, and then you strain, or you just pour off the clear liquid and don't use the starch at the bottom. It sinks. It's almost like a cornstarch you see sunk to the bottom of the, the cup. And then you can cook that very, very slowly in a double boiler with butter or just very slowly... And it, it's like, it is like um, scrambled eggs. And so for a vegetarian, very high-quality protein, that's a, a great a great thing to do. I actually made a soup last week where I juiced potatoes and then put that just in a pan and got it uh, boiling. And then I put in bamboo shoots and shiitake mushrooms. And, man, was it good. <laughs> okay, we better okay, get this thank, next caller. Thanks for your, thanks for your call. And uh, let's take this next caller. Hello, you're on the air. Where are you from? North Carolina. Yeah, what's your question? Is there a way to uh, to process or cook beans, like maybe with an alkali, to transmute the negative effects of the starch? Mm, Dr. P. Uh, to cook what was the To cook beans. Legumes. Legumes, Oh, yeah. oh um, well, uh, you can find information on uh, nixtamalizing uh, even beans. I've never tried it, but... Uh, so that's processing, uh, boiling the beans with a lye or lime? Yeah. Oh. So it would, it would work with the beans as well as with the uh, corn? Uh, that's what some people are saying on the Internet. And, uh, uh, it, would, it, would it negate the phytates that are present in the beans? I, I think it does uh, huh. uh, liberate the minerals at least from the uh, phytic acid. And, and, well, and are they saying that they're not thyroid suppressive as a result of that? Well, it still probably has the... No, I don't know that. <laughs> okay. Well, soaking beans is a you know a very traditional mm-hmm. way to prepare them. Soaking for three days, you're um, activating a lot of enzymes that help break that, down the toxins. That increases the protein value, too, greatly. So anyone who eats beans should soak them for three days, rinsing the water. Uh, yeah, as they approach sprouting, uh, the uh, storage protein turns to growth protein, which is less toxic and, and more nutritious. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, thank well, you. Thank you for your call. Thank, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, so uh, 
getting back to the starches in, uh, just in case anybody else is listening and they want to call in, it's uh, 1-800-KMUD-RAD is the toll-free number, or the local area is 923-2513. Wait, wait, no, 923-3911. 3911, what am I saying? <laughs> okay, too excited. Oh, you're reading the other number. You're Dr. P. Okay, so um, we're talking about starches and it's not being particularly healthy, unless uh, in some of the instances that we covered, uh, you can make them more digestible and more manageable for your, uh, for your gut uh, to process them. But um, just so people understand how big an industry the whole starch industry is, especially with the GMO patentable own the seed type of approach to mass producing starch folks and that's um, what the majority of children eat and crave is starches so and, no wonder they need the vaccine and if you looked at your packaging and your labeling you would see all these different numbers would be on there and there are things like acid treated starch alkaline treated bleach starch oxidized starch mono starch dye starch phosphated starch acetylated hydroxypropylized <laughs> the list goes on and on, it's huge and most of what we're talking about here is not healthy and it's not I know it would not pass any kind of scientific rigour for the true uh, definition of good healthy food and that's just the beginning, that's the tip of the iceberg there is actually a grain processing corporation folks, okay it's called the grain processing corporation if you'd like to look it up online they produce things like B700 pure corn starch, oxidized starch, stabilized starch, binding coating starch, and the list goes on there too. And it's all about putting this into the food tr the food stream, and it's in most of the foods that you will have previously have never had these things in. Anyway, we have another caller on the air. So take this next call. Caller, where are you from? Yes, good evening. Hi, Hi um, my question from? about potatoes. Okay. Um, does it matter which kind? Because I'd heard that the tribes that eat them eat yams, but I was—I thought that was a South American tribe. Is there one? I like uh, Yukon Golds particularly, and I know the russets are—they're real popular. But are they as nutritious? Doctor P, I, I don't uh, know if it's preferences. Each variety of, of potato varies in the uh, quantity of starch relative to protein, but the whole family uh, has high-quality protein, and it's just the uh, digestibility that is the main difference. The uh, high carotene content can make them hard to digest for some people. That's uh, what we would call a waxy potato, one that doesn't start falling apart in the pan as easily, right, Dr. B? Um, yeah, and, and the yellow color is uh, carotene. And when they turn, when the skins turn green, isn't that a toxin? Yes. Uh, yeah. Nightshade? A solanine. Poisonous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If the bitter, FDA had that come into... Uh, and it was just discovered right now potatoes would be outlawed in case <laughs> how, they turn green. How bad green. is it for you? Because it tastes terrible. A solanine, yeah, that's pretty toxic. So you peel potatoes, but it, I like to eat the, the peels unless they're you know green. Well, if your potato is non-organic, you yeah, need to stay away from the peel because they thing. put so many chemicals on non-organic potatoes. That is why, like that other gentleman, I plan on growing my own this year. And, and of course, when you genetically modify potatoes, you can drench them in pesticides and herbicides that's the whole point of oh yeah yeah anyway it gets worse <laughs> it gets worse and worse yeah. okay so th there is another caller on the air thank, thank you. you thank you for your call mm -hmm. bye and uh let's see here uh caller you're you're on the air and where are you from hello you're on the air where are you from um from uh, uh you? Oh, honey, dear. Hi. What's your What's your question? I like to know. Well, isn't too much uh, starch cause acid in your stomach, and what would prevent too much acid? Doctor Pete. 
So well, acid, uh, acid production the, by... The, the main function of acid in the stomach is uh, digesting proteins, and uh, uh, okay. it is responsive to the type of food you eat. And uh, so uh, it, the starch doesn't necessarily uh, stimulate acid production, but uh, it might be irritating to the stomach in some other way, like the quality of, of the starch. Uh, if it's hard to digest, it's likely to be more irritating. And uh, if it's so hard to digest that it passes along your intestine without breaking down significantly, mm -hmm. then it can support bacterial growth or fungal growth uh, that c can cause uh, digestive problems. And, and so high acid, I mean, high protein is hard, uh, would make it less... Uh, uh, Accessible means for the uh, for the uh, acid. So they eat more just high protein. Uh, usually, the stomach uh, can judge how much acid to secrete in proportion to the amount of, of protein that it senses. Okay, so thank you, Doctor Pete. I, I enjoy your show. Thank you for your thank call. You, thank okay. you for your call. Okay, so Doctor Pete, can I uh, ask you uh, a little bit about um, xanthan and carrageenan gums? I know we have covered them in the past. Um, I know you're opposed to them. Um, in the 1940s, uh, the food industry was wanting to add various gums, locust bean, uh, 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 bean. Gum, gum arabic, uh, and the FDA uh, looked at some of the evidence in animal studies and uh, said they weren't appropriate to use in foods. But uh, 40 or 50 years later, uh, the industry... Uh, had more power over the FDA, and uh, so uh, now they're uh, uh, using n not just the natural gums, which are more expensive, but they're finding ways to make synthetic gums with those chemical processes you, you mentioned, uh, which are much cheaper than gum arabic or any of the, uh, the beanie-derived uh, gums. I was trying to tell this to someone who said that they don't like to eat dairy when they have a cold because they think it increases their mucus production. And I told them that I'm sure it's the additives in the dairy that are irritating your intestine. And um, they said they buy good brands, but so many organic brands have these gums in them. Um, yeah, uh, I think they're gradually getting away from carrageenan, which uh, is a very powerful allergen and inflammation promoter. And this is because but, uh, of the literature against it, right? Uh, it, yeah, the um, it, it's uh, the evidence is just tremendous. It degrades under the influence of, of bacteria in the intestine, and degraded carrageenan is generally widely recognized as a carcinogen. Well, it's found in organic whipping cream. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I won't mention the brand. <laughs> uh, the the um, uh, industry uh, to promote uh, these. Uh, manufactured cheap artificial gums uh, to use in uh, food processing, extending uh, shelf life, uh, reducing the uh, need for nutrients in the food. The industry has promoted the idea that resistant starches are health foods, <laughs> that by uh, feeding bacteria, which break them down and produce uh, some short 
molecules such as butyric acid and lactic acid, uh, that this will uh, supposedly prevent bowel cancer, but in fact it's causing uh, changes in your brain and uh, general nervous system uh, to absorb these uh, broken down uh, products of the resistant starches. Well, what is the name of that scientist who's 100 years old and mm. looks really great and young, and he eats eggs, fruits? Fred, Fred Kummerow? Yes, egg, fruits. <laughs> His diet consists primarily of eggs, fruits, vegetables, meat, and dairy. And dairy. Yeah. <laughs> just a traditional diet. Yeah, just exactly. a traditional old-fashioned diet <laughs> of just real pure food. <clears throat> let, let me quickly mention the uh, the whole uh, whole thing about low-fat. And not just yogurt, but low fat in general. I, I think the whole uh, thing about low fat is, I'm sure it was probably probably a marketing ploy for companies to uh, profit from yet again another uh, erroneous piece of science to produce chemicals that actually make the low fat sim not low fat so it's more palatable by the consumer who's being told that fat is bad for you that they produce uh, modified starches for low fat and microparticulated whey proteins uh, modified tapioca starch um, and several other compounds which um, are certainly very questionable as uh, food compounds because you probably never normally uh, eat these in the same quantities uh, and that's all on the back of uh, fat being bad for you which we uh, we know saturated fat is not bad for you so the whole point about the dairy uh, is that dairy does contain saturated fat but it's not a bad thing it's uh, the liquid oils i don't know actually if there is another caller on there i now see the engineer talking to someone but i know we're getting pretty close but um so our word of advice for our listeners is Read your, labels, Read your labels. Eat organic foods as much as possible. And spend your money on good quality food. It's far, far the cheapest way to live. And then... Sorry. Okay, Dr. Pete, what do you think of uh, lecithin? Do you have any... Uh... Oh, um, when it comes from uh, eggs produced by well-fed chickens, yeah. uh, it's okay. But and now it all comes from uh, soybeans. Right. Soybeans are uh, highly unsaturated fat and so it's it's uh, simply a a way of uh, getting too much poofa into your system if you eat very much uh, less of them but if it's just a trace of it like uh, to uh, emulsify a chocolate bar or something uh, that small amount is harmless okay all right. Well, I know it's, uh, it's about five minutes to eight now, and I want to make sure that people do get some details uh, about you, that they can uh, go check you out on the Internet and uh, a lot of your work and uh, read more about you. So thanks so much for joining us again this evening. Okay, thank you. Okay, so just to quickly wrap up some of the other ingredients in food that people are probably not even aware of, um, things like phosphates and aluminum phosphate in particular, uh, sodium aluminum sulfate uh, uses stabilizers and there's obviously the artificial colors things like propyl gallate and butylated hydroxytoluene uh, propyl paraben and for keeping tor tortillas muffins uh, and those kind of products uh, fluffy and uh, food dyes not to mention the food dyes that get put in and then things like potassium bromate you to strengthen bread and cracker dough and help it rise i mean crying out loud what's what's wrong with just good <laughs> good old-fashioned food it's almost too 
too simple um, and I think that's what actually happens with uh, time and life in time is that the simple things just s- suddenly seem to be unbelievable because they're too simple and uh, unfortunately technology wants to cover our eyes with the wool of its science which is not rooted in real science but is rooted in pseudoscience supported by big industry and um, it's very much uh, what we've said before uh, in keeping with Dr. Pete recommending a very simple diet of good quality foods that you are what you eat um, so for those people that have um, listened to the show and have enjoyed it and or want to know more about Dr. Pete uh, his website is www.raypete.com he's got plenty of articles there uh, they're all, you can download them, print them out, share them etc they're all fully referenced and um, he's been doing this for at least 45 years now so he's extremely intelligent and he knows what he's talking about and he's done a lot of research on it and you can find uh, the references that he gives you can find all these people on the internet who unfortunately are just shining their tiny little light in the darkness here but fortunately they are uh, visible if you look for them so uh, i'd encourage people to go to his website read the articles um hear what he has to say uh, it's good old-fashioned wisdom that's free well he's a genius of the highest order he certainly is okay and uh for those people that have called in thanks so much for your calls and uh we'll do this again uh next month on june the third friday of the month and sarah and if you need to contact us, our telephone number is 707-986-9506 or toll-free. 1-888-WBM-HERB. <laughs> okay. All right. So thanks so much for joining us, folks. Um, we do appreciate you calling in, and uh, thanks so much, uh, KMUD Garberville, for uh, hosting us and allowing this free speech, which is what America's all about, isn't it? If it's uh, if there's anything wrong with it, people will find it out, and uh, you've got to have access to free speech because the truth will shine out, and anything that's inherently bad or evil will be discovered, and uh, the truth is there for people that have ears, so let them let them hear. Good night. show 7:59 in the p.m you got to tune in to kmud garberville 91.1 fm kmue rika 88.1 fm klai Laytonville 90.3 fm shelter cove at 99.5 and all y'all at kmud.org support for kmud comes from the end of the lost coast in shelter cove with fireplace spa and sauna suites overlooking the ocean and views of the migrating california gray whales Fish Tank Espresso and Delgada Pizza and Bakery are open daily. More information available at 986-7521 or online at inofthelostcoast.com. Also, support for KMUG comes from Solar Winds, Northern Lights, 